do the words covenant, restoration and kingdom mean to you? Find out in our new DNA series. My name's Mark Kelly and I thank you for downloading this podcast. Enjoy what's coming up. Something that came to me, um, and that is this. You see, I've got this lovely watch on my hand. All right, it's, it's what they call a smart watch, uh, or, or this particular model is called the Pebble. Uh, and what this, this watch does, it connects to my iPhone um, or, or, or any other um, kind of robot or fruity-based phone. And um, it tells me when I get emails, it tells me when I, when, when I get texts, it re- I can read them, I can see not- other notifications like reminders and calendars and stuff like that. And it also tells the time, which is quite useful. Um, However, my watch needs charging to keep it alive, and my watch this morning is dead. Um, so I keep doing this and not knowing what time it is. Um, so it's a bit it's useless. So as complicated as it is, as wonderful as it is, as nuanced as it is, it's useless. And you know what? So it is with us if we don't keep our connection with Jesus alive. So it is with us if we don't keep our prayer life active. So it is with us if we don't learn to spend time and choose to take time to soak in his presence. You will gradually wither away and become just a shadow of your former Christian self. So no matter how busy your life is, no matter how hectic you think it is, it will only get worse if you don't spend time with Jesus. It will only get worse if you don't take time to talk to him. And listen, it can just be two seconds going, Jesus, I acknowledge you in my day. You are amazing. Will you bless me as I go through my day? It doesn't have to be a secret cupboard somewhere that you go into, uh, like a confessional cupboard, and and you're going to confess all your sins to Jesus. It doesn't have to be that. It can be if that's what floats your boat. It doesn't have to be that. Just keep that connection with him alive. And in my weak analogy, you will continue to be able to tell the time. Yeah? Amen. Fantastic. Okay. DNA. This is what we're talking about this morning. So can anybody remember? Mike's not here, so he's not going to answer for you. Can you remember what DNA stands for? Shout it out. John, I'm looking at you, mate. Yes. I, I, heard, I heard several. Deoxyribonucleic acid. Yeah, and that is the it's 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 the thing in in each of our cells. It's it's what what makes us who we are. It, it designs us in the way that we're des- you know well it doesn't design us. God designs us, but it kind of manufactures us and makes us do what we we do and, and makes us able to do what we're able to do. And so, the reason we've called this very short series uh, DNA is because we want to talk about the three things that really make us City Church leads who we are. And those three things are covenant, kingdom, and restoration. Covenant, kingdom, and restoration. I said last week that if you cut us uh, and you've been a part of City Church Leads for long and you've, you've bought into that, we will bleed covenant, kingdom, and restoration. I also said last week in part one, I said it's too big, too big to share every aspect of, of what kingdom is, because that's what I'm speaking on for these first two weeks. I'm talking about kingdom. Uh, and then John is going to share on restoration and covenant for the next couple of weeks. Two bigger subjects for me to cover in 30 minutes. And so you're going to get a snapshot. That's where it is. So don't expect to have an overall picture. We have gone through these things in much longer series. We've, we've taken time to talk about covenant, 
kingdom and restoration. Again, catch up online with all those things. If you're in the car, going to work on a morning, listen to it. Or if you're on the bus, the train, just find those opportunities where you're able to catch up on God's word. Because that's part of the reason why we gather together is to, is to learn, well, what God, what do you want me to what do you want me to know about who you are and, and what kind of things do you want me to kind of work out in my life? And if we don't think that, then there's kind of no point coming and there's kind of no point listening to me. You might as well leave after the worship. But I believe there is absolute um, necessity to hear God's word, isn't there? And to hear what he wants to say through people that he's commissioned as preachers and teachers. Yeah, so I'm one of them. So um, that's what we're talking about. Now, last week, if you can remember, um, I... I, I Quoted from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, that talks about you being salt and light to the world, and that we are a light on a hill. Um, I talked about salvation and that personal relationship with Jesus, not, not being the sole purpose of coming to Him, but it's just the beginning of our journey. I put all this into the context of us moving to um, East End Park from this area at some point in the future. Um, and I also put it within the context of this kind of DNA thing that we are. Um, I talked about us living in a postmodern society. Do you remember me saying that? And that, you know, postmodern society says what's good for you is good for you, but what's good for me is good for me, and never the twain has to meet. I talked about people in our society, in the secular kind of world, uh, living uh, a life that, um, uh, you know, you. You can't, you can't have absolute truth that, that as, as Christians and indeed other faiths, um, you're wrong because you can't have absolute truth, which if you remember I said that's a bit weird because if you're saying I can't have absolute truth, then that absolute truth is what you've just said. So it's a bit of an oxymoron really, isn't it? It doesn't work. There is absolute truth, and the absolute truth is in the figure of Jesus. It's in Christ, the Son. That's where we find the truth, and we find it through His Word, and through revelation of his Holy Spirit, there is truth. That's where it is. And that's why the world doesn't like it. And that's why the world doesn't like us. And if you remember, that's why I said there is persecution, not persecution like those devastating and horrible things that we're seeing in other nations, such as Iraq and Syria. But nevertheless, there is persecution. It's just on a lowing, a low, under kind of ground level. It's a pecking away. It's like somebody tap, 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 tap on your head constantly. They want us to change. They want us to do other things. And if you remember, I said, you know, wouldn't it be easy just to do that? Wouldn't it be easy just, 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 to, just to submit to what the world wants us to believe and to, in their words, progress and move forward? Wouldn't it be easy just to do that? I wake up sometimes and go, oh man, but I can't. The Word says what it says. I can't change the Word of God to make it see, say what I want it to say. I can't make a translation say what I want it to say. It's not right. We can't twist and pervert what God's Word. And you often find some of these kind of views that the secular world wants us to take on means that we have to jump through hoops to make those things happen, to make those things applicable. Because I also talked about our faith being very simple and that the Word of God is really simple. There's not a lot that it has to say that it's complicated. So that's, that's the thing I want you to remember, that we have, uh, we have a real faith that is alive and it is true, and that through Jesus Christ we've come to know who the Father is, 
and that we're also adopted now as his sons and daughters into his kingdom. That's good news, isn't it? Yes, it is. Excellent. I talked about um, the church, and we, we, we've talked about the unity and, and, and the coming together through just talking about the prayer time. You know, I talked about that we're, we're a church that's full of compassion for the lost and needy, uh, a church that wants everyone to know that God loves them no matter who they are or what they've done, and that he's a loving father ready to receive them. And I said that we're a church, the church, is ultimately God's chosen preferred vessel to advance his kingdom, to simply put, to, to advance his rule and his reign. And that me and you are the church, and that we have the Holy Spirit living inside us. Therefore, we have the kingdom of God within us. And wherever we go and whatever we do and whoever we talk to, we're bringing the kingdom of God into that place. It's powerful stuff, guys. It's powerful stuff. I really want you to get that. I really want you to hold on to that. That God wants to work with you, the creator of the universe. We've been singing loads of songs this morning about how awesome our God is. He created the sun. There's a thing going around on Facebook at the moment. It might go down to other social media channels, but who's heard of Google Plus? And, and it, it's, it's this picture. Sorry, Ben. It's this picture of, um, uh, our, of the earth. Look how massive the earth is. It's huge, isn't it? It's massive. It's, it's huge. And then it puts the earth against some of the other planets. And we go, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're bigger than Mars. Yeah. All right, we're about the same size as Venus. Oh, hang on a minute. The sun's huge. Hundreds of earths can fit inside the sun. And then it moved on to the next picture. And the next picture is of another sun in the universe, of which hundreds of our suns can fit into that sun. And then another sun, even bigger than that, where thousands of that sun that's bigger than our sun that's bigger than us can fit into that sun. Until ultimately you're going through these pictures and we're, we're, nothing, we're nothing more than a pixel on the screen. We're not even that. That there is a majestic creation crying out, crying out to God. And that God chooses to use you and to work with you and to live inside you to help redeem that creation. I want you to understand and believe afresh this morning that that is powerful. You have the living God within you. Don't take it for granted. It's amazing. I'm going to move on. I talked about two great commissions. I, talk, I talked about this initial commission that we were given to take dominion and rulership of the earth. So to advance his kingdom, to bring his kingdom and rulership. And the second great commission, which is the commission you will have probably most, most heard of, which is to, to make disciples of all nations, to, to help one another. I talked about that. So those are some of the things. I hope I've kind of rang your bell on some of the things I spoke about last week. But I want, to re- I want to start with this bit of Scripture. And it's John. Could you fire your Bible app or if you're still using those things called books, if you could open those up and turn to John 17. They don't run out of charge, those books. That's, that's a positive. John 17, verses 14 to 18. And I think I'm reading from the message. I didn't note down which, which translation I got from this. It just sounded great. So I, I copy and pasted this into my notes. So John 17, verses 14 to 18. And, and with, this is Jesus um, speaking words about our purpose on this earth. And this is right before he gets arrested in, in, in what they call the Garden of Gethsemane. 
before he is tried and obviously executed. Um, and he was talking to his father about his disciples. This is what he has to say. I gave them your word. The godless world hated them because of it. Because they didn't join the world's ways. Is this ringing any bells, guys? For you and for me right now, today. Just as I didn't join the world's ways. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but that you guard them from the evil one. There are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Make them holy, consecrated with the truth. Your word is consecrating truth. In the same way that you gave me mission, gave me a mission in the world, I give them a mission in the world. I'm consecrating myself for their, their sakes. They shall soon be truth consecrated in their mission. Consecrated, he uses that word a lot in the latter half of what he's saying to, uh, to, to his father there. And consecrated is, simply means this, it's an association with the sacred. It's an association with the sacred. It's a connection with the divine. Isn't that beautiful? It's a connection with the divine. So let's just read that with that in mind. Your word is associated sacred truth. Make them associated with the divine, with the truth. They will be associated with the divine in their mission. As believers, wherever we go, wherever we do, whoever we talk to, we are associated with the divine. We are connected with our Father in heaven. And that's what you're bringing to places and to people as you go on and as you work out those two commissions that we've been given. As born-again believers and as members of this church, we have a responsibility with grace to take our new birth experience into the world. And we, we help that, we help others by discipling them. And we disciple them in God's Word, the Bible, the Holy Bible. And we lead them into an experience of presence of His Holy Spirit. It was intriguing, as I was walking to um, 24-hour prayer from my home, um, I, obviously I come past the university and, and all that kind of stuff, and it's not late, it's, it's about half past six, 20 to seven by that time. And I'm walking, and I know this route so well. I've walked that route so many times. In fact, I was saying just to Peter the other day, uh, here at the front, I was saying, I've lived in most of Leeds. <laughs> There's not a place in Leeds I haven't lived, apart from maybe kind of the Pudsey area and, and, and around there. I don't know that too well. But I, I, I come from Rothwell. That's my, that's my birthplace. So that's south of the, of the river. I've lived in Morley and, and West Ardsley for a long time. So again, south of the river. I've, um, I've lived in Beeston. So I'm moving closer. I've lived in Beeston for a while as well, in both a, a posh part and a not-so-posh part of Beeston. Uh, and now I live, and I've lived in a few places, in North Leeds. So I've lived in Adel and uh, I live in Headingley. Um, and I know a lot <laughs> of, of our city. So it's very, very familiar to me. And as I'm walking and I'm seeing all these students and I'm seeing them with their um, uh, uh, 
shopping bags and things like that, and they're all kind of gathered together as they're walking in huddles, and they're very excited. And I thought, by now, they've probably just started to understand where things are, you know, where the shops are, things like that. I remember, when we, I've lived in Coventry, by the way, as well. When we lived in Coventry for a short period of time, um, the first night that we were there, we wanted to go shopping, and, and, and we didn't have effective smartphones there with Google Maps and things like that. Uh, in 2004, and um, so we just kind of searched on a search engine somewhere. All oh, right, okay, there's an Asda or a Sainsbury's. I can't quite remember what it was. And we drove for about an hour, an hour, until we found a shop that was open and that we did our little bit of shopping in. And then we discovered uh, a week or so later, there was a shop five minutes down the road. There was a massive Asda five minutes down the road, and we'd just gone completely the opposite direction. And what, I'm, what, I'm, what, it, what God spoke to me about when I'm walking down that street, I'm seeing these guys, I'm thinking, man, they didn't know this city. And there's a few guys here who are probably still learning our city. And it's up to people like me to help them. It's up to people like you and me to help people who aren't from this city, who aren't from this, this area. You know? And so... When we end up in Eastern Park, but while we're here, 100% here, we, we help people understand who Jesus is, and we help people understand who, what the kingdom of God is in simple language. Because I contrasted that on my way back from the 24-7 prayer, and I got onto this road here. Now, can you imagine? It's called the Otley Run. All right? They were hundreds of students coming up Otley Road, and they were all in fancy dress, and it was very funny. Um, but I mean, there were some times where I'm kind of squashed against the wall, as like, you know, tens of them are just kind of piling past me. Um, and, I, and I thought, do you know what? They've learned very quickly this route. They've learned very quickly this route. They, they know this very well. But that's not a good route. It's enjoyable to begin with, but you know what they do, and you know what happens. You know, it's not just about having a few drinks and enjoying yourself. It's, it's having some pre-drinks and then going out and having more drinks and then drinking and drinking, etc., etc. It's not ultimately a good thing for them to be doing. But that's something they've learned very well, very quickly. And once again, bringing it back to that analogy, we need to help people stay on the straight and narrow. We need to help people recognize that they have a path to Jesus and they don't have a path to Satan. And we can do that in delicate, gracious ways. We don't beat them over the head with the, with the Scriptures. We pray for them, we talk with them, and we're real and we're transparent with them. So let's be that. Let them not learn and get ingrained in a way which isn't healthy, but let them, let's point them to Jesus and get them on that road. Okay. Um, so last week I said that salvation encompasses far more than a personal relationship with Jesus. In fact, salvation has something called, um, it brings something called the, the fruits of repentance. Anybody know what those are? Anybody have an idea what that is? Fruit of repentance. Nobody at all. Okay, so it's, it's something that you'll, you'll find if you look into kind of what uh, that, that's, that relationship is. A lot of kind of scholars will call this kind of fruit of repentance, and it's very simple. The Greek verb that is translated as repent 
is a word called mataneneo. And literally, it means afterthought. It suggests the idea of thinking about a deed after the commission of it, so after you've done it. And in the case of a sinful action, it's the idea that a retrospection of this act and then a subsequent feeling of sorrow for having committed the sin. So this is repentance, but it's more than just sorrow. Repentance is more than just feeling bad for what you've done. Some guy called J.H. Thayer, and I don't know who he is, I just really liked this quote, so I hope he's a sound guy or a girl. The change, it says this, the change of mind of those who have begun to abhor their errors and misdeeds and have determined to enter upon a better course of life so that it embraces both a recognition of sin and sorrow for it and hearty amendment, the tokens and effects are good deeds. So these fruits of repentance, this recognizing what you've done or who you were, turning around from it, and in our case, pointing towards Jesus, the fruits are our obedience to the Word of God. The fruits that we begin to see is our change of attitude toward God Himself. The fruits that you see are doing good works and love for one another. And most of all, it means that we turn from what some have described as being a son of Satan to a son or daughter of God. They're the fruits of repentance. That when we, when we find ourselves giving our lives over to him, we will inevitably begin to see the fruits of repentance, the good works, the reading his word, the change of attitude, the doing good works for one another, loving one another, and recognizing, and this is the most important thing, recognizing that you are a son and a daughter of the living God. That is you. Last week, that verse, Matthew 5, 16, the last verse says, Now I've put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand. Shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. So we take those fruits, we take those, that change of attitude, that, 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 that worshipful attitude into our homes, into our workplaces, our schools, our colleges. We take the kingdom of God with us when we've truly repented and when we've truly given our lives to Christ. So God's mandate to us is to do something with our personal relationship with Jesus by influencing our culture around us, not keeping it secret, but letting it shine. And so as we move onwards and we move forwards, we let the kingdom of God shine from us. Because those two commissions, the, the taking dominion and the great commission of dis, uh, making disciples, they're, they're as valid today as they ever were. And they're so important as we begin that move into places we haven't been before. God has given... He's given you spiritual and natural authority to take dominion. In the New Testament, the Apostle Paul speaks the ability to, to rule in your jurisdiction. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 13 says, We, however, will not boast beyond measure, but within the limits of the sphere which God appointed us. 
a sphere which especially includes you. The important thing to take out of that is you don't have to do it all. You don't have to do it all. I was going to try and sort this out, but I couldn't get one. Charlotte Gamble, is it? Life Church? Charlotte Gamble. I was watching her preach the other day, and she was talking about kind of your zone. And she got one of those hula hoops, and she put it around her. And she was holding it around her for ages, this kind of, you know, this hula hoop. Uh, and she, what she was trying to say, and I loved it, is, is, is that, you know, find out what your zone is. Find out what you can affect. Find out where you're effective. And use that zone. Stay in that zone. Don't feel pressured that you have to jump into somebody else's zone. Because that's not where you live. That's not where you're at. That's not where you're comfortable. Because you need, we, we need to, as I said last week, it's a bit of a paradox between comfortable and being uncomfortable. You need to be comfortable in bringing the Word of God to those who will ultimately feel uncomfortable because it's challenging them. And you'll never move if you're comfortable. So stay in your zone and don't feel a pressure to have to jump into somebody else's zone and to be like that person and to be as, 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 as super spiritual as that person or as dancing full, as, is that a word? As, as uh, you know, a dancing nature as somebody else or, or drawing or painting or speaking or whatever. Find your zone. Find what your zone is. The thing that's going to be effective for God. And start to influence that zone and those people that live within that zone. There's a, a Greek word. Another Greek word is ametros. Ametros. And that's used in, in this last verse, to, to, that verse I, was, I read to you, the 2 Corinthians 10, 13. Um, and it's, it's to define places of jurisdiction, authority, and influence. That's what it means, to define places of jurisdiction, authority, and influence. And ametros is where we get the word for, for meter. So ametros is literally a measure. But it's more than that in this case. It's a portion of Christ's influence given to you. We're all given a portion with which we work. So an ametros then, it's, it's, it's your place of kingship or rulership. It's your place to influence for Christ. Every follower, every single one of us has an assigned place of influence. And that's the place where you fulfill those, those commissions. That bringing dominion and discipling others. What I'm trying to help you here is just to... There is a massive big picture, a massive responsibility we have, but if we're all doing our bit, if we're all working through our bit, through our zone of influence... We will see this city, we will see Eastern Park, we will see our nation changed for Jesus. There is no doubt in my mind. The Bible says that Christians should seek first, put first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And this bit of the Bible isn't referring to our salvation alone. The kingdom of God, including its citizens, is governed by, and I said it earlier, it's governed by the Word of God. Could you hold your Bible up in the air? I haven't got one. I've got a smartphone. There you go. Look at that. Look at that used Word of God. Isn't that amazing? That's somebody who doesn't, that doesn't collect dust on a shelf, does it? It, it, it isn't delicately 
delicately red. It's red with passion and, and, and other things. Um, but it's, it is a well-used, well-used Bible. I'm not suggesting that every Bible has to look like that. But, you know, it just shows that Kate reads that regularly. She, she invests into her life the very Word of God. But what's interesting that in the Bible, in the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as what? What's he referred to? The Word of God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. We are also governed by Christ. God made flesh. So, when we acknowledge Christ as a supreme ruler, and that through us He brings the kingdom of God, applying His rule and reign wherever we go, His presence with us, it will result in, and should result in, a visible expansion of influence, establishing the gospel of Christ throughout the world. And once again, I just say to you, we just need to do our bit. We just need to play our part, whatever that is. And the result will be this. The kingdoms of this world have become kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Revelation 11.15. So, how does this apply to you? I kind of hope I'm trying to make that clear. But I'm going to just get down a little bit more of some kind of pragmatic stuff. How can it apply to you? Well, look, I say this. It means that God expects you. He expects you to make a difference with your life by applying his word to your life and then introducing his word, Jesus, to the kingdoms of the world that you touch. You've got to use this kingly authority to take dominion, to disciple others. Scripture goes on to say, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. The world is desperately waiting for your arrival. Places like East End Park are desperately awaiting our, our arrival, even if they don't quite know it yet. And whatever zone you're working in, whether that's home, school, college, there are people there who are desperate for your arrival, but they might not even know it yet. That's a good thing. Christ expects us to be faithful servants who occupy, victoriously occupy all places until he returns. Join this royal priesthood and change the world around you. I'm going to read you six verses and then I'm done. Six verses here that will help you understand what it is to live in his kingdom and to bring a kingdom culture to, to a people. So I want to say this. Kingdom culture, then, is a people who aren't afraid to tell all about him. Kingdom culture is a people who aren't afraid to tell all about him. Let me read you this exciting verse. Matthew 22 from verse 1. Matthew 22 from verse 1. 
Jesus responded by telling still more stories. God's kingdom, he said, is like a king who threw a wedding banquet for his son. He sent out servants to call in all the invited guests, and they wouldn't come. And he sent out another round of servants, instructed them to tell the guests, look, everything's on the table. The prime rib is ready for carving. Come to the feast. They just, they just shrugged their shoulders and went off. One to, to weed his garden, another to, to work in his shop. The rest, with nothing better to do, beat up on the messengers and killed them. The king was outraged and sent his soldiers to destroy those thugs and level their city. And then he told the servants, we have a wedding banquet all prepared but no guests. The ones I invited aren't up to it. Go out into the busiest intersections of town and invite anyone you find to the banquet. The servants went out on the streets and rounded up everyone they laid hands eyes on, good and bad, regardless. And so the banquet was on, every place filled. We've got a mission to round people up and to bring them to the banqueting table, good or bad, good or bad. Number two, kingdom culture is a people who don't really care what others think of them. They just carry on doing the good works. They don't really care what others think about them. They just carry on doing the good works. Let me support that with the Scriptures. Again, Matthew 11, verse 16 to 19. How can I account for this generation? The people have been like spoiled children whining to their parents. Oh my goodness, if you've got kids, you know how, how annoying that is. We wanted to skip rope and you were always too tired. Hmm. We wanted to talk, but you're always too busy. Oh. John came fasting and they called him crazy. I came feasting and they called me a lush, a friend of riffraff. Opinion polls don't count for much, do they? The proof of the pudding is in the eating. See, your kids might be whining, but what are they whining about? Are you really listening? to the right things? Or are you imagining what might be happening and what might be being said? Don't care about that. Live in the reality of who you are in Him. Number three, kingdom culture is a people who spend time with all sorts of people without judgment or cynicism regardless of status or position. Spend time with loads of people without judgment, cynicism, regardless of status or position. I say this to you, stop being cynical about your government. Stop bitching about your government. Stop complaining about the journalists. There's no room in the kingdom of God for cynicism and judgment, particularly for those who don't yet know Jesus. Think well of people. Assume that our politicians went into politics to do the right thing. Just assume it. It's not your responsibility if they let you down. Just assume it. Because if you get into a, a positive way of thinking, that people are wanting to do things to make the world better, then you will feel better. Because cynicism and judgment, it just begins to weigh you down. 
And it begins to affect who you are, and it begins to change your attitude, and you begin to not exhibit those fruits of repentance. Think positively about people. It's not easy. Again, culture, bang, bang, bang. Think positively. Now, we have to be real, and we have to deal with things when they come up and when they happen, but first trust and first love and deal with the consequences if they let you down. I was going to read you Matthew 9, verse 9 to 13, um, but I won't. Just note that down. Number four, kingdom culture is a people who are prepared to do whatever it takes to reach out to those who don't yet know him. They're prepared to do whatever it takes. Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? Okay, let me ask that question again. Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? There's a few people. I, I want a response, guys. I know this is something that makes you feel uncomfortable when uh, a preacher is trying to get you to say something. But this is so, so important. Are you prepared to do whatever it takes? What do you mean by that, Stu? Let's, let's... You're not prepared. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a different way of looking at that word prepared, isn't it? Are we preparing ourselves to face the challenge? I love that. So it's two ways. So the first thing, are you prepared, is, in other words, are you prepared to do what it takes to prepare yourself? for the challenge. Love it. Are you prepared to do what it takes to prepare yourself for whatever it takes? Thanks, Stu. You know, there's a story about a guy called Zacchaeus in the Bible. This is Luke 19, verse 1 to 10. He's a rich guy. He's got loads of money. He's a tax man. He's a head tax man. And he desperately wants to see Jesus. But the crowd was in his way. But he wanted to see Jesus. And he was short and he couldn't see over the crowd. So what did he do? He climbed a tree. He was prepared to do whatever it took to see Jesus and to connect with Jesus. And Jesus noticed what he was doing. And he called him over. And it changed Zacchaeus' life and others deeply. Number five, are we prepared to give whatever it takes to see his kingdom come and to honor him? Are we prepared to give whatever it takes? John 12, I'll read this. John 12, verses 1 to 8, says this. Six days before Passover, Jesus entered Bethany, where Lazarus, so recently raised from the dead, was living. Lazarus and his sisters invited Jesus to dinner at their home. Martha served. Lazarus was one of those sitting at the table with them. Mary came with a jar of very expensive aromatic oils, anointed and, and massaged Jesus' feet and then wiped them with her hair. The fragrance of these oils filled the house. And Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, even then getting ready to betray him, said... 
Why wasn't this oil sold and the money given to the poor? It would have easily bought 300 silver pieces. And he said this not because he cared two cents about the poor, but because he was a thief. He was in charge of their common funds, but also embezzled them. Jesus said, let her alone. She's anticipating and honoring the day of my burial. You always will always have the poor with you, but you don't always have me. And that reminded me of, of Mike's preach from a couple of weeks ago. He wasn't that rich. The only thing he had to give God was this expensive stereo sound system. And, and he felt, felt compelled. I can't remember, was it a charity or something he wanted to give into? Can you? Just it's to the church. It was to God. Exactly. So let me set up for the recording. So Mike, Mike, Mike said, well, I haven't got anything. God said, yes, you have. You've got that stereo, that very expensive stereo that he loved, his pride and joy. But God so convicted him that he, need to give, he needed to give an offering, he needed to give something, that he sold it to his housemate for not very much money, according to Mike. He should have got a lot more for it. But nevertheless, he got what he got and he gave it all to the church so they could carry on their mission and do what they were doing. Are we prepared to give in whatever way? It's not just financial. To see whatever it takes to see his kingdom come. Finally, number six. This, this, is, this is over everything else. A kingdom, are we a people who spend time with him in complete devotion? Are we a people who spend time with him in complete devotion? Nothing else matters. Nothing else gets in the way. And just spend time with him in complete devotion. Revelation 19.9 says this. The angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. We spend time, as I said right at the beginning, connecting with him, talking with him, devoting our lives to him. The fruits of repentance will see others affected by us and they will too come to the wedding supper of the Lamb. In this house, we are real. But we also make mistakes. And when we do, we make sure we say sorry. We give second chances to anyone. And we also have lots of fun. In this house, we definitely forgive. We also do loud. We give the best hugs. We are family. And in this house, that means we, we love. love.